Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Genesis 18. I want to take a few minutes tonight and talk about is there any hope? Is there any hope? And the reason I'm teaching on this, the Bible says that, uh, well, let me say this first. What I see so often in, in the church and, and I've talked about this with a lot of people that I respect greatly. There's no sound doctrine. And, and when I say doctrine, I mean doctrine literally means a thing taught. It means the essence of, of what you're doing. Um, so, so, so many, in, there's so many instances where doctrine has been substituted for uh, what makes everybody feel good. And that's why you have the problems you have. You understand? Amen. And because doctrine is not, uh, I don't want to say it, because doctrine's not flashy, it's called the belt of truth in Ephesians 6. Everybody's got an old belt. This is important. But your belt keeps you together. Right? It's like the dad asked the kid one time. The kid was acting up, and he said, you want me to take my belt off? He said, you know what happens if I take my belt off? And this kid said, yeah, your pants fall down. <laughs> Let the beating begin. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One man came home one day and he looked at his son. His son was about 16 years of age and he wasn't doing much that day, wasn't doing much with his life. And his son looked at him and said, son, you know when Abraham Lincoln was your age? He said he was splitting rails. He was reading books all night by coal lamp and, and you know, he was really trying to make something of himself. And his son said, yeah, when he was your age, he was president. <laughs> Let the beatings begin. But nonetheless... <laughs> The point is that keeps you together. Doctrine is what keeps you together. Somebody told me this morning that, that what I was teaching on this past Wednesday about long-suffering, right? And how you don't, this person said this, you don't, you don't hear that in other churches. That's doctrine. That's what keeps you solidified. That's what keeps you, that's what keeps you grounded. Listen, I like to shout and run, and you know I do. Right? We, we were practicing that song today, and Michelle said something, and I don't know how I needed to take this, but I, I took it with love. I, she said, yeah, pastor's helping us tonight. It might get loud. I'm like, oh. Now, this is from Michelle. I mean, you can, you can be sitting in Lenexa and hear her laugh and bonner. Dave is wisely staying seated. I... Uh, yeah, that's right. 
Amen. But, but so, so you know I don't mind loudness. Loud noises don't bother me. I'm not nervous. But here's the thing. I would rather you get it than just shout about it. Right? Tell your neighbor, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And so if you hear a lot of ministers teach and preach about the days we're living in, you might ask yourself the question, well, is there any hope? I mean, because I've heard people say, you know, that, that they basically don't think there's any hope for the world or there's any hope for the nation or any hope for America. Well, I know this. I know that the book of Isaiah says that when darkness covers the land and gross darkness covers the people, that we're going to arise and shine because the light has come. The darker it gets in the world, the brighter we're going to look. Glory. Amen. So is there any hope? I believe the Word of God and from the Word of God that there's hope if the conditions are met. I believe that with all my heart. Look at Genesis 18 and verse 17. Now, I'll paraphrase some of this for the sake of time. I want to get you out of here at a decent hour because we got a big week coming up. Amen. All of us but Jim. I don't know what he's going to be doing. Amen. <laughs> Told me he had to go home. I mean, like some kind of excuse. But <laughs> no, he, he, he has to get back home. He's got to go handle some things. But in any event, notice this. This is when Abraham has been told by God, remember, that there's a problem in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And he said, notice, should I hide from Abraham the thing that, I that I'm going to do, the steps that I'm going to take? Well, the thing that he was going to do at that time was a judicial investigation. Notice, it, it says right here, at verse 21, I will go down now, and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me. And if not, I'll know. Now, people will say, well, God knows everything. Why would he need to go investigate? Because God dots every I and crosses every T. He doesn't just let things happen. You see what I'm saying? He doesn't just do things especially where things like judgment are concerned and just act like it's no big deal. He goes down and looks. He said, I'm going to go down and perform a judicial investigation. Notice verse 23. Abraham drew near and said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now that wasn't arrogance. That was God's friend. And he said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham drew near, or, or peradventure there be 50 righteous. Will you destroy and not spare the city for 50 righteous? If it be far from you to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, you know how this played out. He went all the way down to 10 people. Notice this. 
Abraham remained persistent. Abraham came to him, according to one translation, and said, will you let destruction come on the upright with the sinners? And notice that Abraham approached God. Instead of talking about how bad things are and how there's no hope, we have to approach God and stand in the gap and make a difference. Amen. Are you following me? Abraham stayed persistent. And notice, God listened because it's God's desire to spare people from judgment. Tell your neighbor, God wants to spare people from judgment. Listen, somebody talked to you about Jesus because somebody prayed for you. Because God wanted to spare you from judgment. Aren't you glad? Amen. So we see the principle here. Notice. The judge of the earth, he said, must do right. See, sin will always receive judgment if it goes unchecked. So he said, the judge of the earth will do right. So, in other words, if you go down there and you see that it's like you know that it is, then I know you got to judge the sin. I know you got to judge the sinner. But what about the city? If there's 10 righteous, will you spare the city? Now think about that for a moment. I think to talk that there's no hope for the nation, there's no hope for America, I think you've got to take this out of the Bible. Because Abraham was God's friend who had a covenant with God, but Abraham was not born again. Abraham did not have the Holy Spirit. Abraham was righteous by his faith, but it it was a righteousness that was imparted to him. It was not a righteousness that made him righteous. He was right in God's sight by faith. Amen. But notice, he approached God. So we see the principle here. Abraham was interceding for the city, not only for Lot and his family. Our heart as believers has to be for the city, has to be for the nation, has to be for the lost in the city. Amen. If we give up and say it's hopeless, then who's left to make a difference? Nobody. If we give up and say there's no hope, then who's left to make a difference? Oh, hallelujah. Glory. Now look at Ezekiel 22. And tell your neighbor, there is hope. I ministered on that one time. Where the Bible says, where there's breath, there's hope. The, the writer said, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Amen. It's better to feel wrung out, but you're still standing than to just give up. Amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Because there's hope. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the head, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I didn't find any. I found none. Notice that. Therefore, I poured out my indignation upon them, consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way I've recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord. Now look, I looked for someone to make up the broken place. Look, look what God wasn't looking to do. He was not looking to judge them. He was looking for someone to stand in the gap. Amen. Listen, I can't change everything, but I can be in the gap. I can be in the gap. There's been things that have happened that have occurred, and I would go to the Lord and say, can I change that? Because if, if I can change it, I'm in the gap. Can I change it? And, and the more I live for the Lord, the more I'm beginning to ascertain quickly if I can change things. Oh, hallelujah. You, you understand? Some, sometimes I can't change things because of choices. That people make. Sometimes I can't change things because of choices the government makes. But my life is quiet and peaceful. Because I'm doing my part to stand in the gap. Never hopeless. For you and I, it's not hopeless. So he was looking for an intercessor. Is that right? He was looking for an intercessor. Look at Isaiah. Chapter 62. Oh, hallelujah. Now, this is one of those beautiful scriptures that is so powerful. He said, I have set watchmen upon your walls, Jerusalem, which will never hold their peace day or night. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Notice that. Give him no rest. You're commanded in the Bible to give God no rest. Keep coming. Oh, glory. Amen. That's, that's what the, the, the woman did. When the, when the Bible says she was before an unjust judge and he wouldn't avenge her of her adversary. And what does it say? She kept coming every day. Avenge me of my adversary. Now that's not a picture of God. That's a picture of your persistence. God's not unjust. But even the unjust judge said, look, I better help her or she's going to wear me out. And what did he do? He granted her request. And the Bible says, will not God do the same thing for his people when they cry out to him day and night? Is that right? Mm, glory. Give him no rest. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, I went through these verses very quickly just to show you According to Scripture, we have something to say about it. Hallelujah. 
Many say the next item on the spiritual agenda is the rapture of the church. And I don't disagree. I believe that. But I want you to see something. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, you got you to track with me because people will read this verse and they'll say, see there? There's going to be a great falling away from the faith. There's going to be people that just abandon the faith, right? And the Antichrist is going to be revealed. There's a problem there, though, because the church is still here. If people are falling away from the church, that means the church is still here. I'm going to read you something in just a moment. The, the word there, when it says falling away, it's the Greek word apostasia, all right? It means rebellion. It, means, it does mean falling away, but the basic meaning of it is departure, departure. Now, you got to read all Scripture in context, right? Now, follow me here. And it talks about the, the son of perdition. Opposes, exalts himself above all that's called God or worshipped as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth. Wait a minute. Where did he tell us what was withholding this? Because he says, now you know. Now notice. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then, notice, and then that wicked will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, what's the issue here? Verse 3 is not talking about so much just a departure of people leaving the church. It's talking about the departure of the church. The church departing. This is talking about the rapture of the church. This, this can't happen till the departure occurs. Amen. Let, let, let me show, you, show it a little clearer. I will in just a moment. Notice that. So here's the thing. There are some people that are looking for a great defection of believers from the faith. Oh, you know, we're in the last days. People are going to abandon the faith and people are going to abandon the church. But there's a problem with that. Just like you can't really go through the New Testament and, and the book of Revelation and see any great revival in the last days. It's not there. It doesn't, it doesn't exist in, in the scripture. Now, you, you can do your own studying, but I can tell you it's not there. The greatest revival we see in the New Testament is when the 144,000 Jewish evangelists are evangelizing the world and the Bible says they win the whole nation of Israel to God. 
And then there's, and then there's going to be a day that all the righteous are around the throne. I'm telling you something, that's going to be a time. Amen. But, but here's the thing. The same people who are looking for a great defection of believers from the faith will talk about how the rapture is the next thing on the agenda of God. But right here is the rapture, and they're talking about the great defection. It's almost like people get happy about that. They want to see a great defection from the faith. When I was a boy growing up in, in the church, especially in the 70s, everybody wanted to be persecuted. Everybody wanted to be a martyr. We were all expecting to live in a cave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, preachers, all of them were having visions of a black horse coming out of the, out of the, the north and stomping them to death. And you know, ain't nary one of them preachers ever been stomped by a horse yet. I know some of them that died, but they didn't die from no horse. Mm. So it means departure, the departure. This is the key. Many are looking for a great defection from the church, and they're resigned to it. Now think about that. They're resigned to it. And so the problem is they believe it must happen before the rapture. Well, the day of Christ, he talked about the day of Christ, is the physical return of Jesus to the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. Old Testament's called the day of the Lord. That's when Jesus physically returns to the earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years. Here's the problem. We're with him. We're with him. I know you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, so just, you know, keep nodding knowingly. But here's the, here's the point. In these verses, he's talking about the departure of the church in the rapture. The Weiss Bible says, don't begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way because that day will not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first. Amen. And the man of lawlessness is disclosed in his true identity, the son of perdition. Amen. Amen. We're not looking for a falling away. We're looking for a catching away. Amen. Amen. I say, say it out loud. I'm not looking for a falling away. I'm looking for a catching away. Ah, hallelujah. Now notice, he says that the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church departs. Hmm. So the church is restraining the man of sin. Doesn't sound hopeless to me. Doesn't sound like a weak church to me. And people will say, well, but it says, um, you know, un, uh, only he now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Well, here's where the problem is. Take your flipping finger. Not that one. Some of y'all need to get your mind renewed. You know what I'm thinking. <laughs> and just flip to that verse you know so well that says the church is the bride of Christ. Show me that verse in the Bible. I'm saying show me the verse in the Bible. It's not there. It doesn't exist. People will say, yes, it's Ephesians chapter 5. No, it isn't. It says husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. It didn't say the church is Christ's bride. <laughs> 
All through the scripture, you find the, the, you find the church referred to as the body of Christ. Here's a quick question for you. Is Christ male or female? Oh, you can say it. It's okay. He's male. Is there a man at the right hand of the Father, a flesh and bone man? Is he a man? All right. If Christ is a man, is his head a man? And his body's a woman? What? You sure? Then how can the body of Christ be a bride? How can the body of Christ be a bride? Can't be. The body of Christ has got to be a man. Yeah, but you know, Pastor, no, 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 no. Let's, let's go over to the book of Revelation. I'll show you. This is important. Because people look at that and they'll say, no, no, no. It says, it says uh, only he. Well, well Pastor, I, I just believe that, you know, we're the, 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 the body of Christ and and, you know, that we're the bride of Christ. Well, you know, I won't argue with you if, if you want to believe that. I mean, I don't have no problem with that. You're not going to miss heaven and go to hell because of it. I'm trying to see. I'm, I'm, I'm working in a new Bible. And uh, I usually have these things. Oh, there it is. Revelation 21, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels that had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And talked with me saying, come hither, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me in a way, away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me that great city, the, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, if the church is the bride, why did the angel show John something else? Yeah, but I don't understand that. You don't have to understand it, but it's in the Bible. This is important for your doctrine because now you understand that the church is restraining the man of sin. Not the Holy Ghost, the church. Why? Because the Holy Ghost never leaves the earth. When the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. Why? People are getting saved in the tribulation. 144,000 Jewish evangelists get people saved all over the world. You can't get saved, the Bible says, unless the Spirit draws you. So the Spirit's got to be on the earth. I'm, I'm showing you this for a reason. Don't sound hopeless to me that we're the entity that's stopping the Antichrist from being revealed. Amen. Not looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. <laughs> Glory to God. It's important. Amen. Is that right? So notice, not only can he not be revealed, his identity can't be revealed. Nobody knows. Amen. When I was a boy growing up, they were always naming the Antichrist. And all their Antichrist kept dying. Amen. Oh, I remember my grandmother came home from church. My grandmother Steele, wonderful woman. But she came home from church and she said, oh, I know who the Antichrist is. Kissinger. It's Kissinger. Well, why? Well, he's a Jew. You know, there's no evidence in the Bible that the Antichrist is a Jew. No evidence. 
Well, he's a European. No evidence. Nobody knows. If you don't know his identity, you don't know where he's coming from. We know he's going to be a diplomat of the first order, that he's going to produce a pseudo peace. He's going to cut a covenant with them for seven years, but at the end of three and a half years, he's going to break it. The great tribulation is going to come on the earth, and God will show out in his finest hour. But we won't be here. We won't be here. We'll be watching from the grandstand in heaven. Actually, we'll be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. You'll know who the bride is then. See, there's so much there. People will say, I'm going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to get to participate in the supper. So you mean you think you're the bride and you're just going to get to go participate in the supper? You're going to be one of the invited guests? If you're the bride, you're the matron of honor. We're going to go there and rejoice with the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah. So important. Not hopeless. Tell your neighbor, it is not hopeless. The church is restraining the man of sin. Look at Acts chapter 12. I know this can sound simple. But oh, it's so rich. Hallelujah. Acts 12. And you remember this uh, account. When Peter was taken and put in prison, they had just killed James. Peter's in prison, and they're intending to bring him forth to the people. Verse 4, after Easter or Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. Notice the next phrase, though. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Do you see that? Is that what it says? So it appears to be a hopeless situation. I mean, James has been killed. Peter's next in line. But prayer was made. There's the key verse. Prayer was made without ceasing. What I see, the problem I see with preachers today is they don't pray, they don't fast. That's a foreign concept. Most preachers that you know, that's a foreign concept to them. They don't know anything about fasting. They don't know anything about praying. They want God, use me, use me, use me, use me, use me, but they don't want to fast and pray. They don't want to seek God. You understand? The, the, The prayer was made without ceasing of the church for Peter. Is that right? And, and, and what occurred? Notice what occurred. You, you, you know the account. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came in, smote him on the side, said, get up. He got up. His chains fell off. Gird yourself. He did so. They went out. The gates opened on their own accord, and he delivered him out into the city, and Peter went to the, to the house. Amen. And had to stand outside banging on the door because they didn't think it was him. Thought it was his, his angel. But what happened? On the one hand, it looks really bad. On the other hand, the church was praying. Ah, hallelujah. Amen. 
Yeah, but everything in, in, the, in the country just looks hopeless. Yeah, but the church is praying. The church is praying. Amen. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. I can look at everybody in this room tonight and say, look, I, you, you might be going through things. You might, there might be things that you got to deal with, but I've prayed for you. I've called your name out to God. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. Why? Because I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Amen. You need to tell your neighbor, I've prayed for you. Tell him, I've prayed for you. Amen. So on one hand, it looks hopeless. But on the other hand, the church is praying. Amen. Listen, all these pseudo-politicians that you see today, God has dealt with far more wicked than them. God has put down more dictators. God has put down more evil, wicked rulers. Amen. These little puppets that we're dealing with, they can't even start the wickedness of people you read about in the Bible. The church that was so powerful in the New Testament never had godly leadership. They never had a righteous government in place. They were always dealing with unrighteous leaders. And God said, you pray for them and you'll lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And it started with 12 men from the, from the city of Jerusalem and it spread and inside of just a short number of years, they had evangelized the whole known world. Amen. Until the point that when they went to Ephesus, Ephesus got so worked up that they came and said, the men that have turned the world upside down are here. Amen. Doesn't sound hopeless. Doesn't sound hopeless. Does it? So very often the focus is on the angelic intervention. But folks, listen, what preceded the angelic intervention? Prayer. Unceasing prayer by the church. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. And here's what it seems. It seems that maybe they missed it where James was concerned. But notice they got it corrected. You hear me? Hallelujah. I've done that before with myself. I went and said, now, Lord, where did I miss it? Where did I miss it? Help me see where I missed it. And when I see it, I'll repent about it. That's not the case every time. You don't miss it every time. But if you think you did, go to the Lord and ask him. He'll show you. And then you can correct it. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good? Not hopeless. As long as the church can pray, there's hope. As long as we can pray, there's hope. Amen. Amen. See, do, do, do that right now. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. There's hope. There's hope. Yeah, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm wrung out. I know better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Better to be standing there feeling like you can't go another step. Then give up, quit, and back off. It's never hopeless. Your best days are ahead of you. 
You have not yet seen what God's going to do with your life. You've not yet seen what God's going to do with the anointing and the callings and the giftings on your life. Oh, hallelujah. You've not yet seen what God's going to do with your family, what God's going to do with your children, what God's going to do with your grandchildren. Amen. You might be facing a challenge. There are people in here tonight. You might be facing a challenge with your children not wanting to believe and not wanting to do right. I'm telling you, you better hear me. I'm telling you, we're entering into a season when God's going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. We're entering that season. Amen. Don't give up. We win. We win. We win. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can you say that out loud? We win. Tell your neighbor, say, you know what? You win. Hallelujah. Tanya, we're going to get through it. This too shall pass. I'm telling you. I know we're referencing a specific thing there with the family, but whatever you're dealing with, it's, you're going to get up in the morning and the sun's going to be shining. The sky is going to be blue. You're going to have another opportunity tomorrow. It's not over. It's not over. Because we're going to get through it. And I'll tell you why we're going to get through it. Because we're going to come alongside each other and pick one another up and secure one another and say, You're, you can make it. If, if you need me to carry you, I'll carry you. If you need me to lift you up, I'll lift you up. But we're going to get through this. It's not hopeless. There's hope. Hope thou in God. When David felt like giving up, he said, Soul, why are you disquieted within me? Why are you cast down? Hope thou in God, for he is the joy and the lifter of my head. Always hope. Always hope. Amen. Well, what if they do this or what if they do that? It doesn't matter. It matters what we're doing. Isn't the Lord good? The Lord is so good to us. Amen. And I'll leave you with this. Just don't give up. Don't give up. I say don't give up. That's the pressure of the enemy. When uh, years ago at the University of Missouri, years, and it had to be years ago because Winston Churchill was still alive. He was giving a, a speech at the University of Missouri. And, of course, they had, you know, the band, and they had all the accolades and, and the plaques and everything that they were giving out. And, you know, Winston Churchill, I mean, he's the one in World War II that, you know, gave that rousing speech. We'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them in the city. We'll fight them in the streets. We'll, right? Amen. Led Britain through World War II. They wanted him to give a speech. Man, they introduced him, and here's... The former prime minister, Winston Churchill, and he came to the pulpit or to the uh, uh, podium, and they're ready for this rousing speech, and he looked at all the students that were assembled and pointed his finger at them and said, never give up, and went and sat down. Never give up. I don't know everything, but I know how not to quit. Amen. My, my wife will look at me from time to time. She says this to me all the time. When, when we're pressing into something, we're always pressing into something. 
And she'll look at me and she'll say, Philip Steele, you are the most determined man I know. I'm not going to give up. What are we going to do? When you've been knocked flat, the only thing you can do is get up. You can't lay there. That's, that's how you lose. Amen. You need to tell them, don't start counting. If you count one, you'll never get to two. I'm not letting that happen. Hallelujah. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. I'm telling you, in the spirit, I'm telling you, I see it. You do whatever you want to do with it. I see you getting up. I see you getting off the mat. I see you getting off the floor. Your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are ahead of you. And there might be some tears, and there might be, there might be some more feelings of, of tears, but I'm telling you what, every tear that you cry, the Bible says every tear you cry, God bottles it. God bottles it. Every tear you cry, God bottles it. Every prayer you pray, God bottles it. He doesn't forget it. He doesn't forget your tears. He's going to recompense you for your tears. It's not hopeless. We have the victory. I say we have the victory. He's going to recompense you. The Lord has been telling me that. He's going to recompense you for the pain you've suffered. He's going to recompense you for what the devil's tried to put you through. And let me tell you something. When God recompenses you, it wipes out all the memory. It wipes out all the memory of the pain. It wipes out all the memory of the struggle. Because when God pays you back, it changes everything. Amen. So, Lord, I just sow my life as a seed. I just sow my life as a seed in the name of Jesus. Lord, to pray for your people, to pray for the people that you've called alongside of us, to pray, Lord, for our nation, to pray for the people in our city, to run to our city, to love our city, to make our city my priority. Father, I give myself as a seed into the lives of your people. I will willingly spend and be spent so that they can enjoy the goodness of God because I have addicted myself to the gospel and to the people of God, and I rejoice for it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Bless you twice. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thought she was getting away with something. No. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Let's stand up.